0: Talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Monday, everybody. Great to have you on. the spot brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street and Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Well, you look what they have. They can get you hooked up with the best in auto, home, life, business. They'll find any way to save you money. Maybe it's even in a bundle. But they'll work hard to find you the savings, and they'll work hard to make sure you're completely insured, and if something ever happens, they go to work as if it happened to them. Great people, I mean really great people, who are the pros, pros in insurance. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great pre-owned inventory, fabulous service department. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. When I look at the Penn State offensive line, this now being game week, as Penn State plays Indiana Saturday at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, 330, the kickoff where I'm beginning at 2 o'clock. When I look at the Penn State offensive line, I feel like this is the best offensive line I've seen at Penn State since 2008. Now, we'll have to see how it plays out, whether that's reality or not. But the guy in charge of that offensive line is Phil Troutwine, and an opportunity to talk with him.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to be a part of um, you know Penn State and what Penn State's all about. and I'm excited. All
0: right, so let's get to this. We're in an interesting part right now. It's that part where you go through training camp, and then you make the transition to game week. How important is it for an offensive lineman that in this transition that you make sure that there's a fine line between the work you need but also the legs needed to play the game?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty smart. You know, Coach Franco does a great job of, you know, making sure our guys are fresh for the game. But, you know, um, you know with the number of reps and how many live reps, how many, um, you know, scout team reps, you know, so we make sure that, you know, we handle it right because, like you said, you need to make sure your guys are fresh for the game. And um, you know, fresh for Saturday. So, just trying to handle that and making sure that they're also getting great work um, and getting you know ready for the game is crucial to uh, you know having having success
0: on Saturday. Well, Coach Franklin was on the show with me a couple of weeks ago. You know, he was kidding around. And he said everyone glosses over where we were on the offensive line. He said, but you and I remember what it was like when he first got here. So let's take somebody who's now approaching this. From the outside, that's now inside. that shoe. What do you, What did you think, and what do you now think of Penn State's offensive line depth, as you've had a chance to see them in practice?
1: Yeah, um, you know we have, you know we have a lot of talent. Um, you know we have the depth. I think, you know we have, you know nine to ten guys that can go in and play. Um, and you know that's something that I know Coach Franklin has been working hard with. Um, you know the last. You know, since he's been here, and you could definitely see it. You could definitely see the hard work in recruiting, um, and what they've done. And you also got players that love football and that want to be great, so that makes it easier. But you know, the depth is something that um, you know it's it's different for me, for sure.
0: All right, Uh, you went out right away, and you forged a relationship with with Michael Medit. I mean, the last time I was around anything was a workout back in. In March in terms of physically being there. I could see you and Mennett were talking a lot even during that workout. What did it mean to you to forge a bond with him and what did it mean to the room that you did that?
1: You know, I uh, you know, from day one, you know, I, I looked at Mennett as definitely one of the leaders in the o line room and I knew that getting to him and getting him to believe in, you know, what I'm um, about and who I am, and and get to know me. I think was key because you know if he goes, hey guys, this is this is the guy you guys want to listen to, then everyone else will listen. And so you know I had to I built relationships with all of them, um, but I knew at least to get to men at first, and, and at least get the guy that's the leader of the room um, and talk with him, and then from there I you know I just slowly you know with the upperclassmen and then just trickle down, and now I feel like you know I, I'm. I have great relationships with every guy on the offensive line and you know they're they're awesome and um you know every day i go out there and try to make them all better and i think they see that and they feel that and, and that's what uh you know that's what could be a great offensive line coach you have to do you have to get your guys to believe in what you're about and what you uh you know believe in
0: everyone has aspirations you were able through hard work to achieve goals that maybe some people, okay, well, you know, somehow he becomes a starter and somehow he gets to the NFL. Uh, have the players asked you about your story? I mean, because you're not usually one that volunteers stuff like that. But I mean, have they asked you about your story? And what is it? Do you think it means to a player that your the example of your story can mean to them?
1: Um, you know, they ask me sometimes, like you know, coach, tell us about you know what you uh, you know what you had to go through or you know how did you you know from New Jersey, go to Florida, and, and able to, you know, play there. And, and I kind of use my, because all I really know is myself and what I've been through. So I, I use myself, you know, what I what I have done, and I've been through what every, a lot of these guys have been through and or they're going to go through. So I kind of use it as, you know, my my bumps and bruises and, and what I've learned along the way and the lessons I've learned, I, I, I give to them and um you know success as well i show them you know how i was successful you know how i you know this week is big you know going in the game week of how i prepared against my opponent and how i'm going to prepare them to play their best game um how i'm going to build confidence in them and you know as you know a guy that wasn't very talented um as an offensive lineman and able to play you know five years in the nfl you know i kind of use that as you know uh, example and show them you know if, if you if you have the right uh, mindset and you decide that you want to be great you can you could be a successful and you can maximize your potential so just getting them to kind of see that and i use myself um a lot because you know that's that's what i know
0: over time, we've been able to see guys that can play multiple spots. Mike Miranda can play center or he can play guard. Dez Holmes can play tackle or he can play guard. And there's been a little bit with Will Fries playing a little bit of guard while also playing tackle. So when you look at somebody, what is a determining factor for you, Phil, that you'd like to see somebody just try another position in case down the road it is needed? What attributes do they have to have, in your opinion?
1: Uh, number one thing, they have to be smart. Um, They have to be able to, you know, juggle it and learn it, Um, be able to take limited reps there and be able to go and perform at a high level. Um, You know, I also know who can mentally do it, but also who can, you know, without those reps, can physically do it. Like, can they only take two reps at right guard? But if I have to throw him in the game, I know that he'll at least be able to do it. He'll be able to, you know, come off the ball and, and be able to do his job. So... Um, You know, I look at that first, and then, you know, I think that, um, you know, if you have athletic um, guys that can move their feet that are powerful, you can play them anywhere on the offensive line. Um, You know, I'm not too big about, you know, they have to be 6'7 to play tackle or they have to be 6'3 to play guard. Like, I'll put a guy that's 6'5, 6'6 at guard if, if I feel like he can, you know, he has the power and he has the footwork. And, um, you know, he can also uh, go out to tackle or he can also play center if I need him to play center. Um, So, but also getting them ready for that, you know, because I feel like the more you can do that, that's the best way for you to get the best five on the field. And, you know, that's what I'm always trying to accomplish as an offensive line coach. How can I get the best five? And so that's what I'm always trying to look at. And sometimes I I put a guy right guard and I'm like, nope, he can't can't do it. (laughs) Um, but you learn and, and that's why that's what training camp's great and that's what um you know spring ball's all about and leave getting those them those reps and, and getting them feel comfortable.
0: Phil I talked about the bonding with Michael Mennett. Now I'd like to ask you about Michael Mennett, the football player. What makes him a really good college center that a guy like Phil Troutwine can count on?
1: He's smart. Um and he loves football, you know, and those two things can get you, in my mind, can get you far in the game. Um, you know, if he's willing, Like he'll, he'll text me, coach, you know, I, this cut-up, or he'll send me a, a video of, um, you know, a, a play from, you know, Indiana or whoever we're playing against, or a practice and say, you know, what did that, what I do wrong here? What do I need to do better here? Or, you know, what what look is this? Or who would I point in this? So he's, he loves football. He's always trying to get better. He's always trying to make sure that He's going to put himself in the best um, situation out on the field, um, you know, technique wise, and then, of course, you know, assignment sound And if you have that, you know, you're going to you're going to be a heck of a football player in college, and then also those habits build you for the NFL as well. And um, you know, you're uh, I don't know if you watch a lot of NFL football, but there's some very average talent offensive alignment out there, but that are really smart and they understand the game of football, and they they just do their job. And, you know, that's what you want. And that's what Mena does.
0: All right. Another veteran and a guy who's in grad school now is Will Fries. He's in that right tackle spot for you. And James had mentioned he's dabbled some at that guard spot as well. But what do you see in Will Fries? Will
1: also, he loves the game of football. You know, he he tries to be a technician. Um, You know, he wants to go out there every day and work on something, you know, make sure that he gets better um, at something, you know in his toolbox every day which is great um and you know he's slowly just getting better and better and better i mean he, he's he's still getting better which a guy you know usually going into a fifth year sometimes that doesn't happen but it, it is happening he's getting better every day and it's great to see and, and how he works and, and and what he does every day um you know all the work that he puts in you know it's, it's starting to show Phil Trout
0: Wine. We'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today, brought to you by Purdy Insurance here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you with us on the show today, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. And yes, it is game week for the Nittany Lion football team. And the game will be Saturday at 3.30. We're on beginning at 2 o'clock from Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, or as Jack and I refer to the broadcast booth there as the greenhouse. It's an all-glass booth. We've been there when it's been cold, 27 degrees. We've been there when it's hot. <laughs> the sun's coming through. You're like, holy mackerel. But, Yeah. But we will be there, which is great. And we're looking forward to it. Very, very much. Very much. A lot going on today, including Rich Scarsella on the show today. Um, Stay high, by the way. We told you on Friday that their game at Carlisle, they didn't play because there was a... Um, somebody not associated with the team had tested positive okay happens well it turned out it was another student in the school it was not anybody associated with the football team and now they got the all clear guess what they're going to play tonight so that's good they're going to play tonight at Carlisle in fact they've already left to get out so there's going to be Monday night football high school style now how did our teams do on Friday night
2: uh, Shikolemi lost. Lewisburg lost, but Sealens Grove pulled off a big win. Wow. 9 7 defensive battle.
0: That's great. Over
2: Central Mountain. Yeah.
0: What was the final of the Shikalemi brawl?
2: <sighs> to be honest, I don't remember off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> was it close or?
2: Uh, no, it was not. And neither was Lewis Berg's.
0: Well, it's Southern. I'm not sure anybody expected You know what I mean? Nobody expected that. But uh, one quick note. First of all, you notice Mr. Irrelevant scored yesterday. It was the winning score in the Giants-Washington game. Take Crowder, wow, la- last, right. p- last player drafted in the NFL last spring. Quote, Mr. Irrelevant, the whole deal. Scoop and score. That was him.
2: Totally forgot about that.
0: I know analytics has taken over so many areas of sports. And here's the problem. It's also, it's also taken over common sense. Doug Peterson yesterday. Um, why on the touchdown... When there was 17 nothing. they scored, right? Yes. Why did you go for two points?
2: I'd like to know the answer to that question as well. He keeps putting it on, once again, stupid analytics. Gives you a better chance to win the game. Well, you know what? Either way, it's a two-score game, Doug. Can you not do math?
0: I mean... What's the difference between 17-8 and 17-7?
2: Because, if, because then you would only need a touchdown a field goal to take the lead if you get to that point. Well, guess what? It took you a quarter and a half to get a first down, and, it fi- and then you finally score in the middle of the third quarter. Why are you thinking ahead? Just worry about making it a 10-point game, making it easy on yourself instead of thinking, oh, we do this, 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 we can win. Are you kidding me?
0: There's a time and a place for a two-point conversion. That's not it.
2: Exactly right. And um, and this is not the first time that Doug has done this. I didn't like him when he went for two when they scored first against San Francisco in their only win of the year. I thought that was a dumb decision, too, but it ended up working out in their favor. Now, I thought Ray Dininger, Steve, said it best on the Eagles postgame show on NBC Sports Philly yesterday. He was probably thinking, you know what? We've been trying, we've been trying to get any sort of momentum offensively. You finally get it with the touchdown, a nice drive. I mean, try to and they ride took it, away.
0: and then they took it away. Exactly. I mean, what happens is the Ravens walk off the field feeling better about the whole thing. You lot You took away your own momentum.
2: And it was a big factor down the road when they came back in the fourth quarter. Now, of course, Elliott should make that field goal. But
0: yes, yeah, no doubt.
2: He's been terrible from fifty plus so far this year, which is very unlikely. Eagle, I,
0: I believe the Eagles did not get it didn't um didn't even try an extra point yesterday. They were all two point conversions, right?
2: Correct. They went two for four.
0: And ended up with twenty eight points, which now obviously the last one you have to go for the last one.
2: Right. And but, and, and the other times too, that that that's fine but not yeah. when it was 17-6. Not, the first, at, not, at
0: not the first one. Yes, exactly. Not the first one. In fact, if you go for the first one, you can send the game into overtime with an extra point.
2: Exactly. Once again, Steve, stupid analytics, costing coaches common sense, and f- actual flow of the game when making I mean, in-game decisions.
0: Look, obviously, I've done college football my entire life, and the two-point conversion has been there the entire time. I'll be honest with you: there's a time and a place for it, and where it's just you sit back and go, "Yep, that makes sense." Here we go, do it. And Jack and I will openly talk about it in the broadcast. You know, this is a spot for a two-point conversion because of the common sense part of it. You don't just do it because some humanities major from MIT said do it. I mean, makes no sense. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. And today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto home life business. They'll find a way to save you money. Maybe it's bundles. They'll work hard to save you money. They'll also make sure that you have the best insurance possible, that you're covered. If there's ever a claim, they go to work as if it happened to them. All at Purdy Insurance. Market Street and somewhere, go to purdyinsurance.com. Matt Leon in a moment. Frank Bodani at 4.06 on this week's game. Big story out of Iowa. Not so big out of – I don't understand this at all. The Nico Collins thing? Nico Collins left Michigan. Like, and this is something we knew knew about back in, like, July or August or something like that. Today, Nico Collins not on roster. What? Did you just find out? I took him off my chart two months ago. I just, I don't, I'm not sure why people. I'll tell you, what nobody's paid attention to in Michigan is this. You know, everyone knows McCaffrey left. Joe Milton will probably be the starter. Okay. That Nico Collins was gone. I already knew that, but one thing I haven't talked about is Chris Evans is back at running back after being suspended last year. Then there's this story with Iowa. Wow. Story with Iowa. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz has released a statement after eight former Iowa football players sent a letter to the university demanding twenty million dollars and his firing. Along with Brian Ferentz's firing. The Des Moines Register got a copy of it. Ference, what's interesting about the situation in Iowa is this, and we'll get to Matt Leon in a moment here. Is that through all of this, they were mad at Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach. That was apparent. They've been mad at Brian Ferrance the entire time. That's apparent. Rarely has Kirk Ferentz's name come up. Rarely. Well, now in this letter, they're asking for him to step down. Kirk Ferentz said in a statement, I'm disappointed to receive this type of demand letter. Now, they demanded $20 million, new positions being created, and members of the coaching staff to be fired. As you may know, this past summer we made adjustments to create a more inclusive and welcoming environment for all of our student-athletes. These changes include both policies and rules, as well as an expanded leadership council of current players and a new advisory committee comprised of former players. And he says he's deeply committed to helping everyone who joins the Iowa football program to reach their full potential. Now, in this, and I can't get into the name, because I can't talk about anything with recruiting. But They lost a recruit about this over the weekend. And this is what these are the eight former players that are in this suit Akram Wadley, the former running back, fifth all time leading rusher. Kevontae Martin Manley, all time leading receiver, by the way, at Iowa. Maurice Fleming, Andre Harris, Marcel Jolly, another running back, Aaron Menza, another linebacker, Jonathan Parker, and Reggie Spearman. In the letter, this is what they demand. And the Tulsa civil rights attorney, DeMarlo Solomon Simmons, is representing them. He's out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Attorney's fees, the creation of a permanent black male senior administrator position in Iowa Athletics, mandatory anti-racist training for athletic staff, the establishment of a board of advisors including black players and anti-racist professionals to oversee the football program and tuition waivers for any black athlete who did not graduate with a degree during Kirk Ferentz's 22-year tenure. If the demands are not met by the... uh, are not met to the former athlete's satisfaction by today, October 19th. The athletes were prepared to pursue a lawsuit to ensure they're rightfully compensated for their emotional, mental, and bodily damages and that Iowa is appropriately held accountable for its unlawful discriminatory conduct. Now, the demanding that Kurt Ferentz and, and Brian Ferentz are out. Iowa responded to the letter this way. We respectfully decline your monetary and personnel demands. That was pretty much it. So through all this, I mean Kirk France is the one guy that has rarely been mentioned in this. I mean, his name comes up, but a lot of the players say they love him and the whole deal. Okay, fine. Um, But this time they went straight for him. They want him to step down. All right. So let's get to Matt Leon. We always like to play great walk up music and so forth. Uh, you know, and we got to get something for Leon here. I think it'd be great. Matt, welcome. Great to have you with us.
3: Indeed. That and only Brown M&Ms in the green room.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Certain requests, some people like to <laughs> and, and we try to accommodate as best, Absolutely. As, as best we can.
3: Keep the talent happy.
0: That's what we always say all the time. <laughs> Um, and so we do that with you and a few other people around here. I'm just here, just you know, trying to hold the fort. All right. Uh, my co-host admits he turned the game off. He shouldn't have. So what? Hap- what? What do you think happened in terms of their rhythm and how they played this thing, especially against a team that normally plays pretty good defense?
3: Yeah, I think you know. It's not the first time you've seen a, a team that I think is clearly better than the other get a sizable lead and then kind of turn the engine off yeah. and just yeah. kind of try to coast to the finish line. I think that's, I don't want to take anything away. I don't want to hate on the Eagles and take anything away. But I think a, a, a good portion of the equation is that the Ravens kind of took their foot off the gas and slowed down a little bit. Um, and then, But to the other end, you know, I, I think Carson Wentz played a heck of a game uh, and tried everything. There was one play, and I don't – it might have been 30 to 14 when this happened, but Wentz got free and scrambled down the sideline for like 30 yards. And you could almost feel – as he just kept throwing guys away and could have stepped out of bounds, but didn't. And I almost feel like there was a lot of frustration built up in that game with drop passes and stuff like that. And you almost got to feel like that run was almost like, you know what, I'll do it myself. Just get out of my way. And they really kind of found the rhythm after that because uh, they they do a lot of things that just – like bad teams do like the long pass to, to high tower that he drops that sure I think it was first drive second drive might have been first drive yeah it was like first drive I mean that it's not hard to see that being an 88 yard touchdown mm-hmm. I mean at the very least it's a 50 yard gain and you jump started things and then later on he has a touchdown pass dropped by Miles Sanders I mean right in the hands Miles got turned around but right in the hands and they had, I think, I saw six drops, including that. And there's only so much you can do. And the offensive line was terrible again, now going up against a great, off, uh, great defense. But, sure. but right. you know, uh, the numbers of the number of times Wentz got sacked and hit and hurried were just off the charts. Um, but they did seem to find some rhythm going down the going down the stretch and I mean actually got themselves in position to to tie it with the two point conversion. But I think at the top if I'm going to put a list together, Ravens, you know, not being as aggressive, but went putting the team on his shoulders and then that got you to where a two point conversion decided the game.
0: Well this is where it comes down to like who's your leader. He's the leader and he played like the leader.
3: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean you know, he made it happen, and once again, you know, they, it's very interesting. A lot of times on offense, and we've seen this the last couple of years, Wentz seems to perform better with the lesser-named guys around him. Right. It's, you know, when they won the four straight to get into the playoffs last year, you know, it was the Boston Scots of the world. They had a couple wide receivers they brought up off the practice squad. Greg Ward really kind of emerged. Sure. You know, and this year, you know, like the, the end of that game, honest to God, the, the kid that caught the touchdown that made it 30-22, to 22, I'd never heard of him before. Like, yeah, I think he was, a you know, a guy they brought up on the practice squad and Ertz is hurt and Goddard's hurt and they're running, you know, with, with tight ends you never heard before. Um, but I don't know if it's something – and I'm, I don't want to get too meta here, but in the the huddle with all these young kids and these unknowns that really respond to Wentz more than some of the established guys, like, you know, I don't know. But for me, kind of a loose trend you've seen these last couple of years on offense is the, the more anonymous, the skill position guys are the better Wentz seems to play. And I don't know, what to make of it, but I think I've seen enough of it to to, to look at it as a trend.
0: You know, it's a, it, an interesting trend. It, it, to me, is the number of drop passes I've seen. Yeah. Uh, this year, I mean, George Kittle's a really good tight end. All right, dropped a big one a couple weeks ago. That, that was huge. Had a lot of drops last night. Cooper Cup had a lot of drops last night in the game. I feel like I've seen that left and right from some big time receivers this year that guess what? They're all, they're dropping passes and I, I, there's nothing to explain it. I have no idea. I just find it's, it's an interesting trend especially when people want to throw the ball as much as they do.
3: Could how could it be and once again I'm just pulling out of the air but yeah. lack of preseason games and just yeah. you know I know we're in week five and how long can you lean on that but you know guys maybe that get a thousand reps Got a hundred and fifty, and you know I don't know, but I agree with you, like you see it and you see it with guys that you don't usually see it with
0: yeah I mean it's just I've, I've found that part to be surprising because you know they' mm-hmm. wor- you know they're working at seven on seven stuff all the time, uh, yeah, and that's that's I find remarkable quick turnaround with the Giants who uh, probably should have beaten Dallas uh, well a week ago, did beat Washington yesterday. Uh, despite the fact that when they got into the red zone, they forgot that the object was to score. Uh, what was you, What's your thought on this quick turnaround with the Giants?
3: Eagles usually play well with Doug Peterson on Thursday nights, quick turnaround. Um, Giants aren't very good. Eagles aren't very good. <laughs> All right. Uh, just,
0: just what Fox is teams on
3: a, Yeah, two bad teams on a short week. I mean, isn't that really what America needs right now? But... <laughs> Uh, you know, I lean towards the Eagles. Uh, I, I think the Giants are really a mess, and the best thing that's happened to the Giants is the Jets are in the same house. So
0: <laughs> that's true.
3: I mean, you want to talk about a dumpster fire on steroids? Oh my goodness! But uh, I I like the Eagles Thursday because um, uh, and really, you want to? We can go back and forth, but Eagles quarterbacks better so.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's. I mean, look, this is all him. I mean, this this is this is all Eagles. I mean, Eagles are going to determine who wins and loses the game. Have you watched Daniel Jones at all?
3: Just a little bit.
0: Is he, um, is he any better?
3: It's hard to say because he's another guy that you know. What's he surrounded by? Especially uh, now with Barkley out, it's tough to right. You know, um, I like his athleticism. Yeah. He seems like he can make plays running the football. But uh, they're very, you know, the, the only reason the Eagles probably won't finish last this year is because they're in the Giants' division. So,
0: well, well, Washington's not very good either.
3: Yeah, but Washington's 1-0 against the Eagles. So
0: That's true, but that is the one. <laughs> yeah. That is the one. Yeah. Remember, you they know, lost I'll, to the Giants.
3: Yeah, I'll... When it's all said and done, I really find it hard to believe Dallas isn't gonna win this division, but you know I know as hard as their defense is, even with Andy Dalton, I think their skills position so talented they can hang twenty five to thirty a night, and uh I can't imagine their defenses't figure it out just enough, but uh, you know we'll see this division's a work in progress, to say the least.
0: Uh, by you know, by the way, I mean, as you mentioned, they tried to get the ball to Miles Sanders. He dropped dropped the ball. He still does have a pension, doesn't he? I mean, for big plays, I mean, he still makes big plays in that game.
3: Oh yeah, he had a touch. Oh, oh yeah, he had the, not a touchdown, the seventy five yard run, and then he fumbled it right at the end, which is kind of another problem. But then he got hurt, and I think his status is very much. Yeah. And I think he got. I was doing something else at the station, wasn't able to watch and listen to the broadcast. I think he got hurt on the end of that, on that play where he fumbled the football. Um, So if he can't go Thursday, you're going to get the Boston Scott Corey Clement show in the backfield. But yeah, to your point, you know, that's like two weeks in a row. He's had 70 plus yard runs. Um, But that kind of leads to another question, and it's a question's mood if he's banged up, but why isn't he getting 30 touches a game, which I really don't have an answer for. Uh, You would think, if anything, the the state of the offensive skill position roster Mm -hmm. would just lead to the ball getting funneled to him, and it just doesn't seem to happen, even though everybody talks about it every week. So I don't know.
0: All right, sir. Appreciate it very much, and uh, we'll remember the walk-up music that you need and the brown M&Ms for next week.
3: Sounds good. Thank you, my
0: friend. (laughs) Matt Leon from Philadelphia. Frank Bodani, York Daily Record, next half hour on Penn State football. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you with us. On the show today, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street and Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Well, Adrian Martinez will start a quarterback for uh, Nebraska Saturday when they take on Ohio State, but Luke McCaffrey will probably also play in the game. Uh, for some reason... Some people thought Nico Collins might still play for Michigan. I don't get that. I'm completely baffled by the Nico Collins story. We already knew he wasn't there two months ago. All right. Uh, Joe Milton will start at quarterback. Later in the show, a tribute to Doc Emmer coming up. There really aren't a lot of words I can come up with to pay tribute to him. Other than this, so great has Doc Emmerich been. How great? Well, when you get casual fans to love your sport because of the job you do, you are great. And Doc Emmerich made casual fans love hockey because he had the perfect approach to it. He says he doesn't know how he's going to do in retirement. I'll never forget uh, the late Gil Santos, whom, as I've told people, if I had to say who's my mentor, he'd be that. You know, and John Grant was certainly one. Fran, Fran was obviously, but I learned so much from Gil. So, last game Gil did with, was the Ravens uh, Patriots AFC Championship game that the Ravens won. So, oh, a couple of years, you know, a year or two later, whatever. I'm talking to him. I said, "I said, so how's the retirement thing going?" He goes, "He says, Dave. He says, you know what I found out about retirement? I'm good at it. <laughs> so hopefully, Mike uh, Doc Emmerich will be good at it too. I right. hopefully Doc Emmerich will be good at it too, Or he can enjoy it. He and his wife, and maybe get to Pittsburgh and see the his beloved Pirates play." These are huge Pirate fans. And by the way, people have realized, for example, that Doc Emmerich, in his rise to national fame and deserved praise, had an important stop in his career as the play-by-play voice of the Hershey Bears. He does interviews with everybody. I know he's been on this show twice. College students will ask to interview him. He always says yes. Doc Emmerich is a hockey national treasure. Frank Bodani, we treasure him as well next half hour.